Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 12. Last week we finished our conversation, study, teaching on spiritual gifts, on the listing of the gifts, the seven that he lists here, which as you analyze yourself before the Lord and the Holy Spirit and maybe invite someone else to help you analyze yourself, I think it's important, Amy and I were talking about this afterwards actually, that we think in terms of not just my possession of one gift. I tried to talk about that throughout the study. You know, like, this is my gift and I can't do anything else. You know, I can't, you know, I can't take out the garbage because I don't have the gift to serve it. <laughs> These are graces, just like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. God's Holy Spirit wants me to grow in all seven of these areas. Now, one is going to be primary, no doubt. But God wants me to contribute liberally, generously. God wants me to be cheerfully merciful. And so as you think about yourself and you analyze yourself, one of the things that I tried to do was I tried to say, okay, number one is my strength and number seven is my weakest point. And not just look at like, this is who I am. I got the gift of preaching. Okay, big deal. Where am I strong? Where am I weak? Trying to analyze myself so I can say to the Holy Spirit, Man, I stink at this. Help me more. I want to do this better. So when you look at those things, don't think of them like, you know, I got this, somebody else in the church will make up for the thing that I don't have. Well, that's true to some degree, no doubt. But God wants to develop these in all our lives as we go along. I would submit to you that the more we walk in the Spirit and the closer we get to Christ, the more all these traits will be ours. Why? Because they were His. And if we are like Christ, these things will just flow out of us. Having said that, He then shows us some of the manifestations of the gifts. And this is what we begin to look at today. We'll look at it today and next week. He says in verse 9, let love be genuine. Be repulsed by what is evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another. Notice, I mean, Paul is a master of complicated, complex sentences. When you read the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, he'll have whole paragraphs that are one sentence. And you're like, wow, what is, I mean, trying to put it all together. But here, Paul just does, it's like bullet points by the Holy Spirit. They're just bullet points. He's, he's like shooting them at us. 
Notice what he says. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Give thought. Meditate. To do what is honorable in the sight of everyone. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all. Beloved, only avenge yourself when you can get away with it. Never avenge yourself. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Summary statement at the end. Points back to the beginning of the section when he says, hold fast to what is good. At the end, he says, do not be overcome by evil. We are to be repulsed by evil and we are not to be overcome by it. How do we overcome evil? By doing good. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome, conquer evil by actively doing good. Good and evil. Beginning and end. Let's look to the Lord in word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just bless us in your word. That, Lord, you would direct my thinking to what you would have me say and you would blind my eyes and my notes to what you don't want me to bother with today. And that, Lord, we would leave here challenged, edified, convicted, and growing in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. So we're talking about the real deal. The real deal. When I was in the South for a couple years, by the way, I didn't really love the South, it's too hot and humid and buggy, cockroaches. You can keep the South. It was no friend of mine. When I was in the South, though, for a couple of years, you know, you could go out on Friday night sharing the gospel. And you could find some guy sitting on a park bench who just beat up his wife and he was drinking a beer, and you could share the gospel with him and he'd say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I accepted Jesus when I was four years old in the Southern Baptist Church around the corner. 
I don't think I ever met anybody in the South that didn't claim to be a Christian. I'm sure they're out there, no doubt. I just didn't meet them. I just didn't. Everybody was a Christian. But not really. There was a lot of pretend Christianity. And he begins this section, and he says, let your love, and he doesn't specify the object of that love. Are we talking about just people? Are we talking about God? So we've got to say it's both. It's just your love. And we know that love from 1 John comes from God. Because God is love. And so only those who are born again truly love the way the New Testament pictures love. Although everybody in the world has love for one another. Yet, New Testament biblical Christianity love, which comes from God, is a distinct thing. Comes from God. It's a gift from God. And it is only for God's children. That's all through First John. And he says here, let your love be real. Let your love be genuine. The word is unhypocritical. Hippocrates comes from the New Testament word in the Greek language. It's interesting. The word hypocrite is actually not a translation of a Greek word. It is a transliteration. And so rather than translate it for us, we just got a new English word, hypocrite. But what does it mean? It means to play a part, to pretend. It's referred in the ancient world to an actor. Matthew 23, Jesus uses the word when he's talking to a group of people who were very religious, they were Pharisees, and yet they were just pretenders. And so what he's saying to us as believers, I, I, you know, I think... If I got us all to be honest, and we all put up our hand, if we accepted Jesus in our heart, probably we'd be at, in the 90 percentiles. Some of us maybe are still on the fence, but, you know, we're way up there. So we're going to have in our midst a huge claim to Christ. But what does genuine Christianity look like? Let love be real. Let love be genuine. What does it look like? Here's what it looks like. He then makes two statements. These two statements are the key statements for the rest of the passage. Let your love be real, be repulsed by evil. Real love is repulsed at evil. It's a very strong word in the Greek language. To turn in horror. Genuine Christianity and a genuine Christian, the Holy Spirit produces within us an aversion to evil. That does not mean that we sometimes as believers don't participate in evil or practice it. But there's something in my heart 
that is repulsed by it. True Christianity also does what? Over here. It clings to what? What is good. So genuine love looks like this. It turns in horror at evil. I'm going through my news feed and up comes something. Ooh. Not like ooh. It's ooh. That doesn't mean I'm holier than anybody else or that it's, I'm not red-blooded and I don't, you know, have a sin nature. It's just what? There's something in your heart that says, ooh, evil. But good? Bring it on. See, that's what we're talking about. So love that is genuine. Real deal Christianity is this. It turns in horror from what is evil and it clings to what is good. So think of good and evil for a minute. Uh, this is the big storyline of the Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 3 and chapter 2. God created a tree. It was called the what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan comes and he tempts Eve and Adam partakes with her. And Satan says what? God knows that you know he's holding something back that's good from you. And God knows that you day, you, the day you eat of this tree, this fruit, you will be just like him and you will know what? Good and evil. You know what? Prior to that event, man only knew in an experiential way what? Good. After that event, he knew what? Good and evil. He knew good and evil. But irretrievably lost to us in our sinful condition was the good. And that's only restored in Christ. So we're talking about good and evil here. So genuine love turns in horror and is repulsed from what God hates. And genuine love clings to what God loves, which is good. That's the real deal. I don't know, it's probably been 12 years ago. I think it was just before Christmas, we got two puppies. Dumb thing to do right before Christmas because you ain't going to get any sleep. We got these two puppies, we brought them home, and they were growing up in our house, and they were going to be cattle dogs, and they're part of the family in our family. That's just kind of the way we are with dogs. These were border collies, great, great dogs. But one of them had a stomach issue we did not know he had. And I know all the vets tell you not to do this, but we always give our dog scraps. I hope I get forgiven for that, but I'm not going to throw them out, so my dog's going to eat them. This one dog, Poco, we had had... Before we went to church in the evening, I think Amy had made like pancakes or waffles or something. And we had liberally, I liked my maple syrup. So Poco got the plate. We left for church. We came back. And, <laughs> excuse me for laughing. My family's laughing back there. 
we, Andrew Andrews was living with us at the time. We opened the door to go in, and poor Poco, he, he must have tried to hold it as long as he could, but it really did not help his stomach. And he, excuse me, he blew diarrhea all over the house. I mean, like, you can't believe. I mean, he blew it so bad, there was a spot it was on the ceiling. <laughs> Sorry. You say, why are you saying that? You know why? Because when I opened the door, it was like, whoa! It stunk! Like, you cannot believe. And we went in, and it was like, dog, what did you do? <laughs> We were not enjoying cleaning up the house. Andrew Andrews, Alyssa, Tyler, and me and Amy with clothespins on our nose cleaning the house for like two hours. It was repulsive in every way. It stunk. You've been there, done that if you have animals. I like my cow manure. That smells like money to me. Dog manure, not so much. Listen. How much does sin repulse us? Seriously. How much have we grown so comfortable we don't even smell it anymore. He says be repulsed by it. The only living in 21st century America, the only way we are going to be repulsed by sin is by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we are filled with evil. Our culture is saturated with it. Cling to what is good. So what is good and what is evil? Okay, I'm glad you asked. He gives us the list. You know what's good? Here's what's good. Loving one another with brotherly affection. That is good. What is evil? Not loving each other with brotherly affection. That's evil. What is good? Outdoing one another and showing honor. You know what's not good? When we talk dishonorably about each other on social media. That's not good. That's evil. When we're not honorable. When we are lazy. That is evil. When we are fervent in spirit... That is good. So what I want you to do is go through this list and think of it in terms of good and evil and say God is putting in front of me some things He wants me to be and to do that are either good or evil. And where am I in this list? Now, here's the big deal. Right here, next point. Oh, not that screen. This is a description of Jesus, not of me. 
When I read this list, I'm a little overwhelmed, if I'm honest with myself. This is a description of Jesus. I, I, be careful here because you may not like this, and if you don't like it, you can, you can treat me dishonorably later. I deserve it, probably. But I, Amy and I are really enjoying the video series called The Chosen. Some people are on flip sides of that, so I, I don't want to debate that, but we really have enjoyed that video series. And one of the reasons I have greatly enjoyed it is because in that video series, all of a sudden, Jesus just became like more than one-dimensional. And just thinking about what we read in the New Testament, like John said, if he wrote everything that Jesus did or said, even the books couldn't contain it. And so we're just getting these little snippets of Jesus' life. But to think of Jesus interacting and living who he was as a man and his disciples, who they were as real people. Man, that has just been like, wow. Cool thoughts. When Jesus lived his life, he was these things. And the more I am like him and the less like Tim Moyer, the more these things will be true of me. I don't want you to go from here and just try to be a legalist and read that list and say, well, I'm going to start checking them off and I'm going to start doing this. You know what you'll do? You'll be a hypocritical Pharisee because you won't do them. But if we walk in the Spirit and we seek to be like Jesus, he will build these in our life. It's the orientation here that means everything. This is the real deal. So here's three observations that I have Three generalizations of the things in the list. If you boil them down, I think there's kind of three things he's getting at. And because of time, we're not going to get into the minutia of every one of these commands today. I mean, we could do a sermon on each one of these things. I mean, we could be here till eternity. You think we've been in the book of Romans long. If we did a study on each one of these statements, we'd be here forever. So we're not. We're going to look at the generalizations. Okay. Here's the generalizations. The first thing that I think you see in these things is he's telling us, put others first. Now, we know that's in relationship to God. God's first. But then others are in front of me. Put others first. I'll do each other in showing honor. Brotherly affection. All these things. Put others first. As a disciple of Jesus, how did Jesus live? Let this mind be in you, Philippians 2, that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not think it something to be held on, to be equal to God. But he willingly made himself of what? Zero reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant and he was made in the likeness of men. And he says there in Philippians 2, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any bowels of mercy, that's old King James, 
coming out from Moana Club when I was a kid, fulfill my joy and be like Christ. How did Jesus live? Me first? He came to what? Serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. Amy was the other night reading a book by Ruth Ruth Bell Graham. And she was telling me some of the things that were in it and how it just blessed her. And I picked it up and I was thumbing through it last night. It was a little quip by Ruth Bell Graham that was great. She tells this little story. She says this. All the kids wanted grapefruit one morning. There was only one. That's all right, Franklin said matter-of-factly. I'll have it. (laughs) I bet Franklin Graham hates it that Mama tells that story. That's all right. I'll have it. How much is that like us out of the mouth of a kid? We're talking about the way we view ourselves. Putting others before self. Second one is this. Invest personal resources in the lives of others for God's glory. Invest. How is your investment portfolio in the lives of others? Are we even thinking about it? I don't want us just to think about these things of giving as like, oh, I did my duty, I gave my tithe. What I want us to think about as Christians is some of the things he's talking about here, and it's more than just talking about money. He's talking about our time. He's talking about our talents. God invests in my life certain things. Money, abilities, you know, just who I am as a person, who you are as a person. God has invested himself in you. And what does he want you to do? Invest in others for the glory of God. As believers, we need to strategically and intentionally Invest in others. Now, I'm going to mention two things. You're a young person. I'm not just talking about giving you money. I I can look at some people. I, I actually spent some time this week just thinking and meditating and thanking the Lord and praying for people who have invested in me and my family. I would not be where I am today, and I'm nowhere near where I should be. But I would not be where I am today unless people, men and women, had specifically and intentionally invested in my life. You're a young person. You want to grow to honor the Lord, to please Him in your life. Let me just put it this way. Be a good investment. Be a good investment. So people look at you and they say, there is a young person that if I spend time with them, 
I'm not wasting time, I'm investing time. Kids, young people, young married people, don't have the, what's the word I want, the mentality of, I deserve it. I deserve your help. You know what? The only thing we deserve in this life, the only thing we deserve for eternity is hell. You don't deserve it. Be a good investment. People do not want to waste their resources and just waste it. People want to invest, and people will invest. So step up to the plate and show them that you're a good investment. Secondly, when you're on the other side of the coin and you're at the place where you're no longer seeking investment so much as wanting to invest, you're in that stage of life, be willing to take some risk. I had people take risks on me. They could have lost it all because I could have blown it. But they were willing to take a risk. Both are important. But one of the things you see that's developed in this text, we could go through each of the commands, is God has called his people not to just be repositories of his grace. Like we're just the bank, we're the Dead Sea, and we're going to store up the Jordan River. No, God wants it to flow through you. God wants you to invest in others. So let's get off our duff and look for people that we can intentionally invest in. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about you got a business out there, and you're like, I see a young person. It's not like I just need something for a young person. No, I want to hire you because I want to invest my life in you. I want to help you. So that when you're a man, so when you're grown up and you are married, you not only know how to make a living, you know how to live. For the glory of God. Third thing, and we'll bring it to a choke, make little of personal offense. Make little of personal offense. Look, if you're going to serve the Lord, people are going to hurt you. People are going to do things you don't like. And if you hold grudges... And you keep a list. God's going to put you on the sideline. Somebody does something to you, you're going to go put the screwdriver in their back and turn it a little harder? That is not the way to serve Jesus. What did Jesus say on the cross? Huh? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Make little of personal offense. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher from London in the 1800s, wrote a book, lectures to my students. He had a, he had a Bible college, a seminary. He's preparing men for ministry. He wrote a book called Lectures to My Students. In that book, there's a chapter called The Blind Eye and the Deaf Ear. And he builds it from the book of Ecclesiastes when he says, if you are walking by the window, and you hear your servants, and inside they are cursing you. Do not lay it to heart. Because you yourself know that you have cursed others also. What's he saying there? There are times you just turn the blind eye and the deaf ear, and you let it go. 
that does not come natural to our flesh at all. We'll talk about that one in greater detail next week, so I'll climb in your lap and make us all real uncomfortable. Don't avenge yourself. I want to just close with this thought, because I'm reading this list all this week thinking, man, man, the real deal here is not an easy deal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord always. I mean, when you read this list, when when I read this list, it's almost like a triumphalism that I'm just like, how can anybody do that? How can anybody live this? Well, of course, we know we can't in the flesh, but I mean, it's just like, wow. It's like you never have a down day. You never wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Someone persecutes you, and while they're stoning you, you're praying for I was a little bit overwhelmed, actually. Thinking about it. I remember Andrew Brunson, who was, I've talked about him before, he was imprisoned in Turkey for sharing the gospel, for being a church planter, But ultimately, they tried to pin on him that he was a CIA agent. He went to prison. He was trumped up charges. They were to give him life imprisonment and all this stuff. He's in prison. So he's living this thing of being persecuted. We had dinner together, and we were talking about these things. He just looks at me and said, you know, I read the books about Richard Wormbrand. And, you know, he said, I was expecting to go to prison. It'd be kind of like a worship experience. Like, you know, woohoo. It's like, it was not. It was dark, the devil was there, and in every way I felt defeated. And it was miserable. And it was just an intriguing conversation, because I've even, I'll just be honest, I look at myself, when I've gone through times of suffering with my illness, Matt, you get migraines, you know. I mean, life's great sometimes, isn't it? When you wake up with a migraine or, you know, we know what real life is like. and We have these struggles and, you know, I was thinking this week, you know, sometimes I'm like, how in the real world when things just stink? Do you do this? Because sometimes life stinks. I sat with Ed the other day. And he looked at me and he said, I get so mad. And I said, I do too. I don't know. I can't explain it. Why does your wife have ALS? I don't know. Does it stink? It stinks. But can God bring glory from it? Yes, he can. Will he? Yes, he will. Must I trust Him? Yes, I must. Must I go through hard times, like it says in Thessalonians, and through this inherit the kingdom? Yes, I must. And I'm not going to just put on the happy face and pretend. No, I want my love to be genuine. And so even when it stinks, 
and I don't know what it means, I'm going to hold on to it. And like Andrew said when he was in prison, and he's getting persecuted, and he's sitting in these cells with ISIS, and they're reading the Koran nonstop, and it was dark and it was demonic, and decided, he's like, I, I, I'm not rejoicing. I'm not blessing my persecutors. But he said, you know what? I'm going to. And so every morning he would get up and he wrote a song and he would sing his song, his little worship song, and in his corner he would dance to the Lord. And he did not, he said, I never felt like doing it. But I did it. And God brought me out of that prison. And so what I want to leave you with today is this. This list is the real deal, and it ain't easy. But somehow, God the Father has given us his Son and a Holy Spirit who in the stinkiness of our life will produce these things in us if we are genuine. So be the real deal. Let's close. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word and your truth. We pray that, Lord, it becomes the governing truth that forms us. Holy Spirit, we can't do this. Holy Spirit, we need you. So fill us, we pray. In your name, amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song together? He is exalted. The King is exalted on high. I will pray.
Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this day and for your word which was preached to us today. Lord, we pray that you would use us. Bring glory to yourself through our lives and the way that we live it, the way that we respond and act towards others. May we truly be the servants that you called us to be, that you showed to us that you gave of yourself for the love of others. May we do that and honor you in that. In Jesus' name.